So the prototype of Bounce literally was created in a couple of hours. We made a website that said, we'll come and pick up your bags and just call this phone number. Within 30 minutes, the phone rings and I wasn't expecting it, but someone says, hey, is this Bounce? I'm like, uh, yeah, it is. They say, can you come pick up my bags tomorrow? And I'm like, where, where should we meet you? And then they told me their address and they asked how much it would cost. And I said, oh, actually, let me check with our network to see what, let me get a price quote for you. And then I put the phone on mute and I said to my co-founder at the time, I said, hey, how much, we, how much should we charge for this? <laughs> my name is Cody Candy. I'm the founder and CEO of Bounce, usebounce.com. This is Code Story, the podcast bringing you interviews with tech visionaries who share in the critical moments of what it takes to change an industry and build and lead a team that has your back. I'm your host, Noah Lapart, and today, how Cody Candine built the network for on-demand luggage storage located conveniently near you. All this and more on Code Story. Travel is a huge part of Cody Candy's life, even prior to his current venture. He's lived in a dozen different cities, traveled to over 60 countries, and has been to 49 of the 50 U.S. states. Out of all of them, his favorite place to live was India, specifically in Bangalore. While he was there, he tried to experience all the cultures, food, and people, and quite enjoyed his time. He's a minimalist, to the tune of owning a couple of suitcases. He loves the idea of not being held down by things and being able to move around at the drop of a hat. He reads a lot of books, his favorite one being The Alchemist, and enjoys rock climbing. But to be honest, he likes the all-consuming, work-centric lifestyle he leads. In 2014, he was working in San Francisco and planned to have some drinks with his friends. One of them had to go all the way home to drop off some luggage before heading to the happy hour. He took the ideas he wrote down that night, and in 2017, he set out to solve this complex problem by just getting started. This is the creation story of Bounce. So Bounce is a network of local businesses all around the world, mainly in big cities. We operate different services inside of these businesses. So the main one, like the bulk of Bounce, is all around luggage storage. So when you're traveling, you know, uh, there's check-in day or check-out day. You might have all your things and not a place to keep them. With Bounce, you can open our app or our website and find a place um, any block of the city to go and leave your things for the day. The businesses that we work with make extra revenue off of that. They get extra foot traffic and travelers get a whole day of their vacation back or business travel or whatever it is. We see locals using Bounce as well for events. We also launched another product this year, Package Acceptance. Right on top of our existing network, you can send your packages to a bounce location, helpful for when you're traveling or if you live in a city where you don't have a doorman or just can't be around to receive a certain delivery. So yeah, sort of long term, we'll be building out bounce to help these small businesses make more and more money. And then on the consumer side, we exist to basically keep people from not having to plan their days around their things anymore. So luggage storage and package acceptance are two of those and we'll add more in the future. In 2014, I was working in San Francisco. Some friends, some coworkers, and I, we said, let's, let's grab some drinks after work. Someone said, I'm going to join, but I'm going to go all the way home first to drop off my bag. And being the minimalist that I am and, you know, living by this philosophy that your things shouldn't hold you down, I thought, that's crazy how 
common it is for people to literally go way out of the way, plan their whole evening around their things, spend extra money on the taxis or the Ubers. And yeah, it's crazy. So, you know, how can we solve this problem? It feels like a really big problem. That night, I was at that happy hour bar and I took the back of a menu and was just like writing all these ideas that came to my head, including the name Bounce that came to me that first day. And the big vision is, can we build a cloud computing infrastructure for the physical world, distributed storage everywhere, and the ability to summon your things to you, away from you. The reason I didn't start Bounce right away in 2014 was because it sounded really complex if we were going to have drivers and delivery networks and all that kind of stuff. It just seemed really, really difficult. So I was sitting on the idea for several years. Then in late 2017, I was at this crossroads where I was thinking about what I wanted to work on next. And my friend said, what about that idea of bounce that you were obsessed with a couple of years ago? And I said, oh, that's too hard. But then I started thinking about it. And I said, the best way to start a company or solve a problem is to like kind of start working on it already, even if you don't think it's going to work. And so, yeah, started prototyping. And long story short, uh, with a couple of days of prototyping, I, I thought, hmm, I think there's actually a model here we can get started with that will be uh, easy to get off the ground right away, even without capital, and just scale up and, and, and serve consumers and bring them that value from day one. Well, let's dive into the MVP. So tell me about that MVP, how long it took to build, what sort of tools you used, and how you brought it to life. So I actually like to distinguish between a prototype and an MVP. And so I'll start with a prototype. I come from the school of thought that uh, the school thought of the lean startup approach, the rapid prototyping approach, basically, how can you really validate your hypotheses that you can add value to customers, that customers actually want what you're going to build. So my view on this is, how can we how can we do that in day one? So the prototype of Bounce literally was created in a couple of hours. We made a website that said, we'll come and pick up your bags and just call this phone number. And then we purchased some AdWords and didn't know what was going to happen. But then within 30 minutes, the phone rings and I wasn't expecting it, but someone says, hey, is this bounce? I'm like, oh, uh, yeah, it is. They say, can you come pick up my bags tomorrow? And I'm like, yeah, we can do that. Where, where should we meet you? And then they told me their address and they asked how much it would cost. And I said, oh, actually, let me let me check with our network to see what, let me get a price quote for you. And then I put the phone on mute and I said to my co-founder at the time, I said, uh, I said, hey, how much, we, how much should we charge for this? <laughs> and then uh, I unmuted the phone and said, yeah, we'll come pick up your bags tomorrow at that address and it'll be, you know, $16 or whatever it was. And the person said, oh, great. So then we rode on over on, um, city bikes, picked up her bags, tried to do anything we could to make ourselves look more legit. Actually brought another suitcase with us to make it look like she wasn't our first customer. We didn't want to scare her away. And yeah, ultimately with her and then maybe 10 more data points after that, we validated our first hypothesis, which was that people are willing to hand over their valuables, hand over their bags to someone off of the internet that they never met. I love the muting the phone and, <laughs> and talking with your co-founder. Hey, hey, what do we charge? That's that's true start. True startup fashion there are a couple more iterations of the prototype so the way we think about it is what is the biggest thing that's going to keep this business from succeeding and the first one was if people don't feel comfortable giving their bags over to strangers if if that is the case then we don't have a business at all they should just stop 
Um, but once we had that validated, then, you know, we, we served a dozen customers or so in this kind of hacky way. And then the next hypothesis, you know, asking ourselves, is this, is this going to work? The thing that felt like would be the biggest value point was the delivery, the logistics, as I had anticipated originally. And yeah, riding around on the city bikes and taking Uber pools to bring people's things around. It was uh, very time intensive, uh, very difficult work too. You know, the, it was, um, you know, hot out. And so I thought, you know, obviously I can't do this long term, um, not for very long at all. But can we hire someone? Can we hire a delivery network to do this? And it just didn't feel like the economics would work out well. So we thought, yeah, that's probably the next biggest thing that's going to fail. So what's the next iteration of for us to test? And that that next hypothesis was, uh, can we do? We, the, the hypothesis was, we can do, we can handle this logistics stuff at scale. We can have good unit economics. So the next prototype of bounce, rather than picking up and delivering a rate from people's address wherever they were and, and having to be there at the exact same time that they were there instead we said why don't we have local depots so this person drops it off around the corner within a three-hour time window and then we pick it up within that three hours within three hours after that and then bring it to the next location the next depot where, where they'll want to pick it up later and so we did that and people loved that but what we found in that process was that people were willing to drop off and pick up in the same location and we thought, wow, we can offer an even lower price then. That means we don't have to deal with logistics and delivery at all. And dang, this would be so easy to build the MVP for. So then we took that model, tested it out a little bit more in this prototype way, and then started building the MVP. So we probably spent we probably spent a solid month from that point building the MVP. And I know that's really fast, but I think it was fast because we had already done all this validation. We had already served so many customers. And so that allowed us to just you know, have way less assumptions. Hey, will people be confused about this or this? Oh, well, we talked to 20 people. So um, we already know the answer. So yeah, about a month from from start, first line of code until, you know, out in the production, out in production and people using it. That's great. And it makes sense. You had, you had, you know, validated a lot of assumptions already. What sort of tools did you use when you're building the MVP? We used some website builders. I don't remember what it was exactly. Um, one of the one of the standard ones, if you Google it. Yeah, we used Google Voice for people to, to reach us. We used, um, yeah, basically like free credits of anything that they give startups, we would, we would use those. I think we did AWS credits in the beginning. And um, yeah, just kind of uh, just kind of piece things together as quickly as we could. So then with any MVP, you've got to make certain decisions and trade-offs and you validated assumptions. But even in building that next MVP that took you a month, you had to probably make some trade-offs of you know, technical debt or feature cut or things like that. So tell me about some of those decisions and trade-offs you had to make and how you coped with them. Our view in the beginning was, let's just run as fast as possible because we're so early stage, this is bootstrapped. Like a business isn't a business until you can serve a lot of customers. And so rather than spending, you know, six months and making sure it was the cleanest code and minimal tech debt, instead we just kind of sprinted and, and thought, you know, this is a first version. So first versions are almost always rewritten at some point, like at some point within the next couple of years. And, and we were actually right about that. We, uh, we did uh, two major, major refactors. So, uh, yeah, we basically just optimized for speed at that stage. Well then, so you've got your MVP, 
you're getting some traction, people are using your product. How did you progress it from there and mature it? And I'm interested in how you built your roadmap and decided, okay, this is the next most important thing to build. In the beginning, there was a period where it still felt like everything was duct taped together. Someone would book and I'd be so nervous. I would say like, oh, is this is a store partner going to, is it going to be a smooth transaction in the store? And so I would call the stores in advance before every transaction, and I would call, I'd call the customer to make sure you know they knew that we were uh, we were there for them if they needed anything, and that allowed us to one meet a lot of customers and get a lot of good feedback there, but two give them the confidence, oh great, this is going to work. Um, but yeah, as things started growing, that was way too much to keep up with. There were certain things that were way too operationally time intensive. For example, we started with a a timer. So you pay by the hour. And what we found was that people wouldn't always click like the checkout, like end timer. Uh, and so there'd be a lot of follow up there. So then, yeah, basically we said, what are all these operational problems we can solve with code? So we switched to a per day pricing model and anything support oriented. You know, we, we rewrote our, our emails that go out to the customers to have the common FAQs in there. And basically what I found was that I could step away and not sort of manage any particular transaction and things were working, things were, things were going. And so that was the moment where, you know, that, that shift was where I was like crazy underwater, like, oh, this is nuts to then like, oh, wow, this is like a business where I'm, uh, you know, get out of the shower and be like, wow, we just served like 12 customers. So tell me how you went about building your team and, and what I'm interested most in is what are you looking for in those people to indicate that they're the winning horses to join you? Now we have a team of eight, soon to be nine full-time employees. I started with my co-founders, the two of us for a while. My co-founder is no longer with the company full-time. So uh, yeah, the team is, has uh, evolved quite a bit, but uh, yeah, we're, we're running. Hiring at the very early stages is the hardest that it'll ever be to hire. I was thinking about this and if you if you're Yelp for example and you already have a hundred account executives and you need to hire one more account executives, you're gonna have all the playbooks, you're gonna know exactly what kind of you're gonna have all the patterns of, of who's gonna work best for this role and it's gonna be really easy. Same thing with if you have even just like one other person in that role. But in an early stage startup, you know, each each function, whether it's growth or sales or engineering, each function is a little bit different based on the nuances of that company. And uh, like it won't be the same, an engineer or a, a product manager or a salesperson from one company that's kind of similar won't be the same at, at your company. And so, yeah, really every role starts out so ambiguous and like who the best profile is, it's, it's very ambiguous. And so it really takes meeting a lot of people and um, really calibrating what you need for the role. And then as you calibrate, you can focus your sourcing efforts more down that path and then find the best candidates from there so yeah it's, it's been definitely a learning process in the beginning there was just so much ambiguity and now um there are roles where you know they're similar to the other to other roles that we already have so it's a lot easier but for brand new roles it's often just like really sitting down and thinking for a long time and then really just meeting as many people as possible to form that calibration let's flip to scalability. So did you build this to scale efficiently from day one or are you fighting this as you grow? 
I would say scalability is some scalability is one of our kind of core values. We want to think about things that we can do at massive, massive scale. And so when it comes to decisions of, you know, here's some opportunity that might give us X amount of revenue or X amount of impact in the next three months, but it's not really something that scales all the way or it's something that could add complexity or slow us down later, uh, we'll always solve for uh, high scale. And so, yeah, we, we that's kind of the driving force, but sometimes you have to make the, the speed decisions and say, you know, like, we just need to get this feature out now, let's refactor it later. So there is some of that. It, it is somewhat on a case-by-case basis, but I think thinking really big and global is, is really important, especially now as a company. We operate in over 20 countries, which is more than twice the number of employees we have. So yeah, it's just it's really important to be as lean as possible. So with scalability, right? Scalability can be team, it can be operation, it can be technology. And I get designing for scale. Are you having to take into account much infrastructure scalability at this point? Or are you able to sort of get by with just kind of monolithic infrastructure? Like I said, we've refactored our whole code base two times. And that was to kind of get to the next level of scale. I think that going down the path, you often don't know. You, you don't know what you don't know. And so, you know, you build for scalability as best as you can now. And, you know, like certain services that, that you might use will, will kind of flex into more scale well. But when you just have so many more users going through your platform, certain things will start to happen, whether it's certain bugs or certain just like weird weird things and, and also in terms of impact too if like one percent of if a small fraction of users uh face something face an issue you know oftentimes you can solve that once a month issue with customer support but let's say you you know 100x then you're going to see that a lot that might actually be a um a high intensity customer support item and so uh we'll want to solve those things with code instead so as you step out on the balcony and you look across all that you've built, what are you most proud of? I am most proud of the team that we have. We're so lean. Everyone is, in terms of output, is on, a, on another level. And yeah, I mean, the, the amount of scale that we've built with such a small team has been really remarkable. I think back to when I worked for a big company, a big tech company, into it. And, uh, and and other, you know, talking to other folks and thinking about other companies and companies we partnered with before and that sort of thing. And the amount of people and time it takes to, you know, do certain things. Sometimes it's helpful because you have more people kind of checking, checking things out, sense checking things. But, uh, but for us, you know, we've really figured out how to do a lot with a little. And so, um, yeah, everyone on the team is just really high output and, and I'm really um, yeah, really excited about my whole team and proud of what we've built together. Well, let's flip the script a little bit. Tell me about a mistake you made and how you and your team responded to it. I think in the in the beginning, we didn't know, and I'll say I didn't know enough about kind of the difference between enterprise sales and small business sales and, you know, like enterprise sales in practice is all about building and nurturing relationships until you close the big deals 
in small business sales like what we're doing we really need to build a machine where we you know have these processes we have you know the phone calls the emails the sales reps going after their targets and we output a high volume of new stores added to the platform every month and i think one of my earliest mistakes was not recognizing how impactful that difference was and that comes from everything that impacts everything from how you approach problems who you bring on the team and um yeah i think i think if i knew what i know now i would have approached things much more differently and i think we would have built the sort of scalable sales team much much faster so what does the future look like for your product and for your team so it's a really exciting time right now the last year was probably one of the toughest years the company will have ever we were you know in the travel space and the pandemic hit and we lost all of our revenue and no one was traveling for more than a year and so that was a really tough time and the hardest part you know of course there's a lot of the common hard things about you know having to tighten expenses and sometimes you don't have the, the whole team together anymore um, and, and those things are, are really really tough but one of the i guess non-obvious things here is that for the last year 2020 it felt like we were on this kind of deferred deferred plan deferred everything was kind of deferred there were a lot of things we wanted to experiment with or roll out but we couldn't because there wouldn't even be enough data to kind of test the impact of a feature right um we wanted to test how you know certain content on the website would affect conversion but if no one's going to the site anymore because no one's traveling then you, you can't really do a proper a b test and now 2021 it's june we have recovered fully from the pandemic and are growing faster than we've ever grown before and now we have so much data coming through that we're testing left and right and and it's, it's just really exciting we're able to unlock things that you know we weren't able to unlock without traffic before and so yeah that was a thing that was really tough to get through and, and now yeah we're excited to to take all this all the scale that we can all, all these new customers joining us every every day and um yeah we're opening up new cities all the time new store locations we want to scale this product up worldwide and be be everywhere be you know wherever people are searching where can i store my bags we want to be there and we're well on our way so that's kind of the next six months but looking even further out we're really excited about building out this platform that helps small businesses make more money with their space and to help consumers not be held down by their things whether that's luggage or packages or something else so yeah in terms of our roadmap we want to build out these other services where we're already well positioned to do so for example by having a strong store network and yeah just kind of uh become a, a key a key piece of infrastructure for urban cities where we can we can service people in ways where they're not really being serviced already so who influences the way that you work cody Name a CEO, a CTO, architect, really any person, a person you look up to and why. One of the people who have been most impactful on me the last couple of years has been a guy named Tyler. And Tyler is, he started a company before and then uh, it got acquired and he was um, 
Aviki at the acquired company at the acquiring company, and um, now he's working on another startup, and he is insanely talented, and I've learned so much from him. He, he, the way that he thinks about scale and execution and building systems is like nothing I've ever seen before. So I'm constantly asking him for uh, advice and um, and constantly like learning so much from him. And yeah, he's just totally kind of reset the way I think and, and helped me think bigger and bigger. I thought I was thinking big before and, and with him, I, I think at an even bigger scale. Well, we talked about mistake earlier, but a little bit different spin. If you could go back to the beginning, what would you do differently or where would you consider taking a different approach? You know, I heard this quote, which is first time founders obsess over product and second time founders obsess over distribution. And I think that's something that I've definitely viscerally learned um, through this process. I think that, yeah, in the beginning, I was all about let's build the best product and then, and then let's figure out how to get users. But I think the very best companies have user acquisition kind of built into the product from the very start. So as I've learned about different uh, different channels that we want to use to grow, one of them being SEO, that is a, a big factor in um, that, that influences product decisions in a lot of ways. And yeah, if I were to do it all over again, I think I would have much more emphasis around user acquisition and understanding kind of what we should be doing from the very start. I think we would be, um, yeah, we, we would, uh, I, I think it's absolutely essential to have those two things tied in together tightly. And if you can do that from the start, then it will grow so much faster. Well, last question, Cody. So you're getting on a plane and you're sitting next to a young entrepreneur who's built the next big thing. They're jazzed about it. They can't wait to show it off to the world. They can't wait to show it off to you right there on the plane. What advice do you give that person having gone down this road a bit? Early entrepreneurs are often um, often hesitant to kind of get it out there. There's often a sort of obsession with perfection. Like, hey, I've got this huge thing, but like, I got to have all these features before it's ready for the market. And I think that... I think that you just have to get your product in front of customers as fast as possible. You have to add value to customers as fast as possible. I think in most cases, not all cases. And so, yeah, I would I would tell them like, hey, this is awesome. Like, get this in front of customers and learn as much as you can from customers. Uh, customer insight and, and all that kind of stuff is so underrated. It's one of those things that everyone kind of knows it's important, but no one really does it enough. And I think if you spend more time with your customers and you really figure out how to add value to them, you can build a, a better product and you can do it faster. Well, Cody, thank you for being on the show today. Thank you for telling the creation story of Bounce. Thanks, Noah. Yeah, this is great. And this concludes another chapter of Code Story. Code Story is hosted and produced by Noah Laphart. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or the podcasting app of your choice. Support the show on patreon.com slash codestory for just five to ten bucks a month. And when you get a chance, leave us a review. Both things help us out tremendously. And thanks again for listening.